parfait. win for the hosts yesterday USA look essentially out of this on goal difference it's going to have to be Austria or Czechoslovakia here and that's the game we're going to jump into first with Royal UAE facing an uphill task taking on West Germany later Turlock you're going to take us through this opening game very important game for Austria obviously because they, they lost their opener they wouldn't quite be out of it if, if they didn't get a result here but would be looking pretty bleak a remarkable thing about the squads for this game Tony Polster of Sevilla, who's kind of the Austria, Austria's star player, is actually the only player in the Austrian squad who doesn't play his domestic football in Austria, which is unimaginable today for, for a country of, of the size of Austria. He's just got 33 goals for Seville, so they were pretty much pinning all their hopes for a better result than first time out when they didn't really contribute anything to a, a narrow 1-0 defeat to Italy. As far as the Czechoslovaks go... They had forced FIFA to apologise for playing, mistakenly playing only one half of their anthem for their opening game against the USA, which is a problem because the Czechoslovakian anthem is a mashup of the Czech anthem and the Slovak anthem, and they'd only played the Czech half, Kadej Domov Moy. They should play them at the same time, the same <laughs> time, so it's just this sort of mishmash. What was the one, wasn't there, I think it was in the USA relatively recently where they went to play something, someone's national anthem, and ended up, it was clearly someone had put their iPhone or their iPod into the, uh, the ox, and it started playing Linkin Park. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it happens yeah. surprisingly often. It happened in France as well last year, wasn't it? Uh, there was a, Albania were playing France in the Euro qualifiers, and I think they played... You might have this the wrong way around, but they played, I think, the Andorran anthem. And people were like, what? Yeah. So then they realized their mistake and they ended up playing the Armenian anthem instead. <laughs> I, I think playing anthems before football matches is ridiculous. Jingo is to carry on, particularly for domestic games, but that's another issue. Oh, look, in America, they play it before um, they open the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if, I, if I don't get to hear Ireland's call and Aaron Naveen before each game of rugby... I will kick off and I'll demand an apology. I was at a pantomime here in Calorgland a couple of years ago and they played it, played the national anthem before the pantomime on a little Casio keyboard. <laughs> and everyone stood up. Uh, anyway, a mini version. It sounded like that. I know it was very well performed, but it was just a bit incongruous. Um, but anyway, yeah, they, they missed out on the Slovak half of the anthem, which is Nad Tatarusa So you can check that out on on. YouTube, if you're if you're hankering for a bit of kind of Central European anthemage, it was kind of important because this team was more heavily dominated by Czechs than, for example, the Slovakian team, the Czech Slovakian team that won the European Championship in '76, which I think was mostly Slovakian. Um, there were two Slovaks in the starting eleven, and obviously the manager, uh, Dr. Josef Venglos, also a Slovak, uh, and two more would come off the bench. The game itself was refereed somewhat laxly by George Smith of Scotland. It was a pretty violent first half. Not a lot happened other than some bad fouls. Um, the only real chance was actually the first goal. 
in the first half. Uh, it was a really bad back pass by Pfeffer. Chauvinetsch runs onto it. He's brought down by Lindenberger, um, badly injured actually, and has to go off. And yeah, I think Declan, we're going to talk through the penalty because it's, it's Bielek's third penalty of the competition. He'd scored one against the USA and missed one. But uh, particularly, I, you pointed out some particularly notable aspects of this penalty. Yeah, I, I, I had to watch it about four or five times to figure out how he's done it. As he slots it away, it's like as the ball is nestling into the bottom corner, he seems to be on his stomach like he's fallen. And I, I can't work out how it's happened. Like, unless the field is not a flat surface and there's a huge divot there that I can't see. But if you watch it back, he steps up. It's not even like John Terry kind of slipping or, you know, falling backwards. It's like he's, he's already struck it. The ball is nestling into the bottom corner. And it's nearly as he goes to put his front foot down that he completely misses a step, ends up on his stomach, falls over, and then is nearly up like a flash as well to celebrate. It's just... He just turned his ankle, it looks like. I don't know if it even is. I think it, it's... Because if you look how far his left foot... I think it's his left foot as he, as he strikes it, is out in front of him. All he has to do is put it down. And it, does, it doesn't look like... Physically, a human should be able to fall like that. But he's, maybe he wanted another penalty. I often feel bad on on our regular podcast when we like kind of don't get enough to talk about certain teams, and you're like, "Oh, I want to try and talk about everybody as much as possible." But Austria were just boring in this World Cup, and I'm glad that <laughs> that they're in trouble and looking likely to go out because I don't know what I'd say about them if they if they manage to stay in. You know, I have a theory that teams that wear plain white, even if they're not boring, they they just seem boring because they wear plain white. Well, I, I, like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it out with you in that one because I think the Austrian kit at this World Cup is one of the nicest we've ever, we've ever seen. It's got this kind of, it's a white one with kind of a strange uh, spider's web type mm-hmm. motif running across the left hand. I think it's a really nice piece of design. Yeah, I noticed that it's nice, but it's still basically an ad for Daz. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, just in general, like, um, I don't know who kind of, uh, you know what people's opinions are on certain teams, but like Real Madrid, as you know, they can be the most entertaining team in the world, Ronaldo and crap Ronaldo and, uh, you know, whoever they have, Ozil or all these creative players, they'll always just be a bit boring because they're just, they're all white. They're just kind of, all right. Or Spurs, like no matter how entertaining Spurs are, they'll always just be Spurs. I'm not sure about that theory, but uh, I'm just looking up the kit here. Dundalk, Dundalk. (laughs) <laughs> Speaking of, I was going to say Dundalk could definitely rob this kit Like this, this Austria away kit Do you know what it's like? It reminds me of Do you remember back in the Like if you were ever playing like FIFA or whatever way back in the day Or even actually I think it happened in real life as well Where like Newcastle's home and away kit Were both black and white Which was one of those perplexing things Like you can't get away with that You have to create a third And then they create something like that Where it's like there's still black and white in there There's just less of it, you know Didn't, didn't Pats have a home kit that was the, the normal red and white colours a few years ago and then their away kit was just white with red trim actually the, the Austrian the reverse of this is the nice red and white number this is actually the home kit but uh, oh, I think right. they brought, wore the red and white one at one stage during the World Cup but yeah a particularly nice shirt adorning a particularly ugly team which is also doubly annoying because the game took place in the famously beautiful city of Florence um, but wasn't wasn't in keeping with its surroundings yeah, so that was the score at halftime, 1-0 to Czechoslovakia. Austria went three up front in the second half with Rodax, Polster and Ogwis. When people talk about Italian 90 being kind of this stultifying, negative, chanceless, uneventful tournament, which was the stereotype for a long time, 
they might just have seen this game because the only goal is a penalty and basically nothing else happens. Uh, Rodax has a chance after about 52 minutes. He's played in on the left side of the box, but he totally scuffs his shot straight at, how do you pronounce that? Stashkan? Maybe? I check my, my correct us on that. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only chance they have. There's four yellows for Austria in the second half. Kubik picks up his second yellow of the tournament for Czechoslovakia, so he'll miss the next game. But beyond that, it's a pretty solid win for a pretty solid Czechoslovakian side against a very sterile and unimaginative Austria. It should also be pointed out, just a purpose of probably nothing, that substitute for the Czechs that day was, or the, the Slo- Slovakians even that day, was uh, Vladimir Weiss, who has gone on to manage against Ireland about 14 times most recently with the latest generation of Georgian players that were compelled to meet every four four months. Well, I think he'd come back to the World Cup as Slovakia coach uh, mm. many years later. Um, also, just to note that the Czechoslovaks had held a minute silence and privately before the game for Aldrik Nejeldi, who was the striker of their 1934 World Cup team, uh, which were, who were runners-up at that World Cup. Uh, he just died. And in fact, that was the last time Czechoslovakia had made it out of the beyond the first round of the World Cup. So that was a particularly good omen. Fitting way for them to secure qualification then from Group A, in a way, with, with that win. Newspapers are one of the very few things that come cheap in Rome. The Eternal City is certainly cashing in on the World Cup finals. It's become rip-off city. Whether it's a restaurant, a bar or a shop, the chances are that you'll have to pay well over the top. Taxes seem to have a supplement for just about everything. One tried to charge me an extra three pounds just because he had a radio. West Germany, meanwhile, they take on the UAE and what's probably the, the tournament's biggest mismatch, you would say. And, and this is why I'm so annoyed at Austria is because even they can't allow us, you know, how much content we're getting out of UAE alone compared to Austria. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a content problem I have with them, I suppose. Looking at this situation, you'd imagine, you know, 70,000 fans in the San Siro against Germany is something the UAE players would not have experienced anything similar to that before. And you'd expect them to be, to be quite overawed by the situation. And maybe it's just with hindsight, I found a quote from their captain that day, uh, Abdullahan Mohammed. Uh, he's speaking to journalist Gary uh, Meenigan here. And, you know, again, it maybe with a bit of hindsight he's saying this, but he's saying the first true feeling of being a football player was playing in Italy, especially when I ran on the pitch at the San Siro against Germany. It doesn't get any bigger or better than Klinsmann, Waller, Bremer, Thomas Haslier and Lothar Matthäus, you gain confidence and experience from playing on a stage with those kind of players. It's a learning curve and a turning point. And I get the feeling, if you'd have asked him or any of the players that day, they'd have been bricking it. There's no way they'd be talking about the confidence this has given them or whatever. But to be fair to them, to the UAE's credit, they managed to hold their own for about 35 minutes. Uh, goalkeeper Mushin Farage was fairly busy, although it should be said that, I mean, Klinsmann and Voller essentially missed open goals in the first 10 minutes or 10-15 minutes of the game. They eventually made up for it, uh, a goal from each of the players, Voller tapping home from six yards and then Klinsman heads in from six yards, uh, probably just a little bit of an indication that they were getting a bit stretched at this point, UAE, and, and they just couldn't really defend all over the pitch. They were letting easy passes in towards that six-yard box by the end. Second half, though, about to get underway, and Germany started a little bit nonchalantly. It's Reuter who misreads the bounce of a long pass, uh, Nasser Mubarek 
just about gets it under control. You can see he gets a touch and he nearly buckles, but he, he manages to get it under control, slide a low drive into the far post past Ilgner. And you imagine, I mean, I can't say I've, I've done too much research into this now, but this must be their most famous goal ever, the UAE. Uh, whatever the, as you pointed out, Dave, they're a bit of a kingdom or a collection of kingdoms. Whatever the equivalent is of not being able to buy a pint down the local in various kingdoms, I'm sure that's happened to him now, you know? I don't think anyone has a problem with not being able to buy a point down the local in the UAE. <laughs> but obviously, this doesn't last all that long. I mean, the UAE goalkeeper, he's, he's called into action immediately after. He, he makes a series of saves, sort of punches one out from a cross where he goes flying. He then blocks a shot that comes in off the back of that. The ball spills out to Brema, who spots Mateus arriving at the edge of the box. And the cross is decent. The volley is absolutely sensational. We've already talked about the goals Mateus scored in this in this tournament in the first couple of games. I mean, he hits he hits it on the volley with what looks like the outside of the boot into the bottom corner. And and it's just absolutely remarkable stuff from him again. That just must again. be devastating, though. You score your first goal at the World Cup against Germany. You're absolutely buzzing. You're back in the game. Less than a minute later, Mateus scores an absolute ridiculous goal against you, and it's over. I think Turlock said it after the first game. I mean, if you've not ever looked up Lothar Mateus before, dude, just... Start doing that deep dive now. You'll be watching it for hours because the, the talent of the guy. He's nearly got like the frame of Hazard and the sort of, you know, arriving onto late shots or, or driving from midfield like Jared or Lampard or something like that. Um, but a couple of goals then that go in to make it 5 1 is some, some nice pass and move work. Finds Uwe Bein, uh with plenty of time at the edge of the box. He smashes top corner. And then the fifth comes from a near post header by Rudy Voller. And uh, that is it for the. For the UAE, by the looks of it, again, to be fair, they've earned a fair bit of credit in it. But as the game's gone on, the, the inexperience has just told them that the Germans have absolutely savaged them by the end of it. You haven't mentioned them um, for the final German goal. We have uh, another appearance of our, our friend, the, the team of this World Cup, the handball on the line. On this occasion, he doesn't even manage to save it. Yeah, doesn't it? Is it, is it no goal? Actually, I'm not sure if it was even awarded to Voller because he, he doesn't he flick it off and then the other defender kicks it in or something like that. But I, I think I'd sort of just... Re- Chucked it as look near near post header, but there's a little bit of that. It sort of bobbles around, possibly off the hand and, and maybe off the mm. foot as well. Uh, but five one in West Germany, looking looking very very strong in these early stages. They're very much scoring goals from absolutely everywhere on the pitch. Mm. And it was really, actually given to Voller that goal. Was it? Even though even though it, it two players played the ball after Change, he last touched it. Change direction. It was at one point it was going away from goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not sure how and then the defender that. put it, went out of his way to put it in. Well, I've awarded it to him as well, so I'm just as bad. Uh, Turlock, how's, how's the Irish camp looking these days? I mean, we're not too, not too far away now from a pretty important game. We've been hearing drips and drabs about how the press want the team to play, and uh, I, I'm relatively certain that's gone in one ear and out the other with Big Jack. Is there, is there any more suggestions for Big Jack this time? Well, it does seem to have. So they seem to have switched to different tactics because... Mick McCarthy's car is impounded in Palermo and he's fined and I don't know if if that was a setup by a member of the Irish media of the David O'Leary lobby big O'Leary trying to trying to influence the team selection um but yeah fortunately <laughs> fortunately this doesn't develop into a Bobby Moore in Bogota situation and uh yeah it's, it's an on the spot fine and uh he's he doesn't have to spend a night in the clink, um, but yeah, beyond that, Jack Charlton's explaining his reasoning behind bringing in um, 
behind bringing in Steve Staunton over Chris Hewton, which, as we know, is one of the controversial talking points for the Irish media. He says, if I were to choose on tackling, Chris would be in, but he wants Staunton in for his, his superior, uh, I suppose, ball-playing ability. Um, also, he made it clear to him, Staunton was marking Waddle in, in Ireland's first game, that if Waddle started running riot, uh, he'd be yanked out of the team immediately. Uh, Staunton was playing on the wing for Liverpool, though, wasn't he? No, he was playing left back. Um, yeah, a man who played three World Cups in three different positions. But yeah, it does surprise me because he was, for my money, he was one one of the most, as we've said several times, one of the most dynamic players in, in the team. I think one of the best strikers of a dead ball in Europe at this time. And uh, the idea that his place was was under threat just seems bizarre at this removal. Probably more because he was young and Hewton was the, the experienced player. Possibly. Um, but yeah, just to show the extent to which World Cup fever has gripped the nation. Um, Brush Shields has had his long-awaited, I'm sure, um, encounter with the Egyptian Justice Minister on the Gay Byrne Show, um, during which Brush Shields busted out his, his uh, little, I presume, skiffle tune um, previewing the Ireland-Egypt game. I'll just read you some of the lyrics. Boys from the Nile were fairly agile, and the coach did his best to calm them but the non-stop style of the Emerald Isle made them look like Tutankhamun. It goes downhill from there, unbelievably. But uh, yeah, so that was, that was some of the nonsense you'd hear non-stop around the game because really the World Cup had colonised every section of the, of the radio and TV schedules. But I think possibly we could have done without that contribution. Very, very brief bit from the rest of the world. I mean, there was uh, clashes, I think we mentioned in Bucharest between supporters and opponents of the ruling National Salvation Front. That violence sort of came to an end after two, three days. And also Dublin regulation on treatment of applications for right of asylum under European Union law is agreed. It doesn't come in until 1997, but probably represents uh, another significant change in the country at this time. So you're interested in a bit on Keith Richards calling Prince an overrated midget? Oh, yes. Yeah, so Prince was due to play two gigs in Cork in July. Um, He was fending off complaints from fans because he'd charged £75 for tickets for a benefit gig in Minneapolis um, a few months earlier, which, again, seems like a steal at today's prices. But yeah, Keith Richards had weighed into the debate describing Prince as an overrated midget, blasting the fact that he always sat on a high stool so he could look down on you. Remarkably, Keith Richards is the one who's still alive. <laughs> Tomorrow we look ahead to games from Group C and Group F. You've got Brazil up against Costa Rica. Scotland's World Cup hanging by a thread. They take on Sweden. And of course, as I said, Group F there will be paying keen attention to that England face Netherlands for a bit of a replay, potentially, of the game two years ago in Dusseldorf. And it's another one, this time by Pinsmer. Emirates playing it forward again. Ooh, here's a great chance here for them now. Well, they whacked one in there of the number eight, Mubarak. Just a quick postscript on, on Prince and Ireland. About 10 years ago, Prince was supposed to play a gig in Ireland that he pulled out of, and he was sued for breach of contract. And Judge Peter Kelly made a finding against him. He said his legal defence wasn't valid or something. And he got a very curt reply from Prince, which was verbatim, tell that cat to chill.